Hello, you're listening to Dr. Baz of Grace Life Church in Naples, Florida. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word. And may God's Spirit speak a personal word to you through it. I pray that through your biblical counsel that the fear of it would be largely alleviated. Your truth will set us free. And may that occur today as we uh, fulfill our purpose for being on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in Acts chapter 1, and uh, we're looking at your fitness to be a witness. Let's read it, um, starting at the sixth verse. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, you will notice that we, just like them, are obsessed with knowing the times and the dates that the Father has set. Uh, in fact, most studies on Revelation concern themselves with whether in the end times the rapture will be a pre-tribulation uh, pre rapture, a mid-tribulation rapture, or a post-tribulation rapture. And uh, you can see that Jesus is telling them here that you're not to be on the prophetic committee, you're to be on the proclamation committee. You're not to be worrying about the future. You're to be welcoming people in the present. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So you can see that every believer's calling is to be a witness. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. So that's not a suggestion. Uh, it's our calling. He's essentially telling us what our purpose in life is. Now, when you look at the people who've made great achievements in life, what you find out is that, that, that most of them have been able to move beyond the failures of the past and to pursue a clearly defined objective for their life. This is absolutely the case with the Apostle Paul. In a verse that we've read on a number of occasions in Philippians 3.13, he said, This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, and didn't he have a bunch of failures in the past to forget that God's grace allowed him to put in the past and to forget? Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for, prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So he says, this one thing I do. So what was this one thing that he did? Well, he tells us in Acts 20, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That is the same task that all believers have been called to, and that is testifying to the good news of God's amazing, 
unmerited grace which is offered to otherwise hopeless sinners and available only because of the cross. So we're called to be a witness. In John 17, verse 16 and 17, Jesus is speaking to the Father, and he says, they, meaning us, are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So sanctify them. That means make them holy. Set them apart for you. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you send me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Notice the order there. When you leave the church assembly, hopefully having been sanctified by the word, you are essentially being sent into the world to scatter that truth. This is clearly the understanding of the early church. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to 4 reports that a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, the word translated scattered here is a very interesting word because in the Greek, it's the word that's used to sow seed. So as God uses whatever means he wishes, including persecution, to scatter his people, he intentionally does so in order to scatter the seed of his word. You know, what's the first word that comes into your mind when I say missionary? Now, I know some of you thought cannibals. That, that's because we have an innate fear of witnessing. I pray that, uh, that, that, that God's counsel here will, will help alleviate that. Uh, the first church of Orlando, well, at least during Jim Henry's time, had a little sign over every single exit that said, you are now entering the mission field. So every believer is a missionary. Somebody said, you don't become a missionary by crossing the sea. You become a missionary by seeing the cross. So your fitness to be a witness is because that's your calling. You're called to be a witness. And then secondly, you're created to be a witness. Look at verse 4 and 5. He says to them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised. He's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wait for that. Now, it, we also know in Luke 10 that previous to this, their names had been written. He said you can rejoice that your name's written in, the, in, 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 in heaven. So as a subsequent experience, he says, wait for the gift that my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, then what happens then? Let me give you a little bit of theology here. Look at verse 8. What happens then? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And that's precisely what happened. Because when you go to the next chapter, chapter 2, the Holy Spirit arrives to inaugurate the church age, and when the Holy Spirit arrives, he arrives never to leave. In John 14, 16, Jesus said, the Father will send you another counselor, meaning the Holy Spirit, who will abide with you forever. Okay, so can you understand now that the Holy Spirit has come in Acts chapter 4, unlike the disciples in 
the that that were Jesus's disciples. We don't have to wait for the promise of the gift of the Father. We don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit. He's come here. He's going to abide with us forever. And if anything, he's waiting for us. So when we get saved, we're not looking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a subsequent experience. Rather, when we get saved, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, we are all baptized, that is immersed, by one spirit into one body, speaking about the spiritual body of Christ, whether we're Jews or Greeks or, or, or slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. What's the point we're making? Saved people are all baptized in the Holy Spirit and therefore have received power to be his witnesses. You've, you've already received that. Now, what is the response of most people? They say, well, yeah, but I don't know the Bible well enough. Well, let's look at the verse. Notice it says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you shall be my Bible scholars. But it doesn't say that. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you shall be my attorneys. You'll be able to argue the case. No, it doesn't say that either. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my salesman. And, and again, it doesn't say that. It says, you shall be my witnesses. Now, in a court of law, uh, a witness is, is somebody who's merely heard or seen something. That's all you have to do to be a witness. And for your comfort, in John chapter 9, verse 24, we have an example of a very good witness who knows almost nothing about Jesus. I'll read it to you. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind, and they said, give glory to God, they said. We, we know that this man who supposedly healed you, he's a sinner. He replied, well, you know, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know, and that is, whereas I was blind, I now see. There's a fellow who just testified to what he knew. That's, that's a witness. That wasn't much, but it was a witness. I'll give you another example. In John 5, 13, the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is a person who had been an invalid for 38 years. They said, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, well, and this is his witness. But the man who healed me, he, he told me to pick up my mat and walk. That was his witness. So they asked him, well, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? They totally omitted from their thinking that he'd been healed. The man who was healed had no idea who it was. <laughs> but you see, he did testify to what he had seen and to what he had heard. No, you don't have to know the Bible well enough to be or to start being a witness. You just have to have seen and heard something. Do you know that Jesus said that's all he did? The jurisdiction of what he came here to tell people was simply that. In John chapter 3, verse 31, he says, the one who comes down from heaven is above all. He's speaking of himself. He testifies to, to what? To what he has seen and what he has heard. But nobody accepts his testimony. And then Jesus said, well, because that's the only thing I was accountable for, not, not that God is, Jesus is accountable for anything, being perfect, but he says that therefore, this is all my disciples are accountable 
to do. Uh, in John chapter 3, verse 11, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, we speak, and now he's including his disciples in this, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. And then again, he says, but you people do not accept our testimony. So you can see that Jesus holds the human race accountable for rejecting Christian testimony. Well, Luke 7, 22, we could go on. So Jesus replied to the messengers, go back and report to John, you can guess it, what you have seen and what you have heard. That's all they, they were responsible for. So your, your testimony is the testimony of what you have seen and heard, even if you haven't seen or heard very much at all. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John introduces his epistle saying, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked and which our hands have touched, this is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. John 4, 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe simply because of what you said, but now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. When Ananias came to Saul of Tarsus, and who became Paul, and told him God's calling upon his life, he said, you will be his witnesses to all men of what you have seen <laughs> and heard. Wow, this is getting repetitive. Now, but you see, the thing is, because the apostles knew that this was their sole responsibility, they lost their fear of failure. In Acts chapter 4, verse 20, they said, we cannot but help but speak about those things that we have seen and we have heard. Nobody really minds about speaking about, about what they're the world's leading expert regarding, and that is what, what they have seen and what they have heard. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 10 to 11, John explains what caused him to write the book of, the, of Revelation. He said, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And then again in verse 19, write, therefore, this voice says, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. Then he repeats this again in Revelation 22, verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down and worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. If you know the passage, you will know that the angel rebukes him and says, no, 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 you, you don't worship any, you don't venerate anybody but God, God alone. Now, having said all this, I must introduce us to a gigantic biblical caution in doing so. The only admonition to sharing what you have seen and heard is that your experience is of no value whatsoever unless it is consistent with biblical truth. This is something Paul warns about in Colossians chapter 2. He says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility, humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen. 
and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions, he's lost connection with the head. He's completely drifted from the truth, completely cut off from, from Jesus Christ. So let me say it again. Your experience is of no value unless it's consistent with biblical truth. In Luke 2.20, we read that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. Those are your boundary lines. Nobody in the whole world is as big as, big, an, big as an expert as you are regarding what you know, what you've seen, what you've heard. But if you claim to have seen a, a vision of Jesus that's 45 feet tall coming to you on a canoe, leave it out of your testimony. It, it's not consistent with a particle of Scripture. Just, just check whether those really were shiitake mushrooms that you bought the day before. Your calling is to be a witness. You're created to be a witness, and that's because it's critical that we are witnesses. If you look at verse 6, they just want to know something about the future. They want to know God's future prediction, and Jesus points them to his, God's present purpose for them. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now look at verse 9, the next verse. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud, and a cloud hid them from their sight. He's gone. That's it. Those are his parting words summarizing their entire purpose for living. Wow. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Well, if, if that's it, then you can imagine that doing so is very, very critical. Now, I didn't intend on saying this, but let me say that there's two ways to begin being a faithful witness. And the first is to just listen to people's problems and invite them to church. Invite them, why don't you come with me to church on Sunday? We'll do lunch afterwards. You know, come and hear about Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 41, Andrew has literally just met Jesus. And we read the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. So you just say, look, I, I found Jesus. Can't tell you much about him, but you know what? I'd like to bring you with me to church and what have you. Now, eventually, of course, you'll get uh, wanting to be a, a faithful witness. You, you'll want to go further than that. Um, shortly after Jesus says that you shall be a witness when the Holy Spirit comes on you, that's exactly what they do. In the next chapter, they bear witness as the apostle Peter preaches the first Christian sermon, which is the gospel. Uh, so whilst it's true that we've been sent to witness what we've seen and heard, uh, that would also include what we've seen and heard of the basic message of the gospel. And what is that basic message? Well, let me tell you how the Apostle Peter's sermon ends. It ends with these words. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and our, 
and your children and for all who are far off, for all those whom the Lord our God will call. It's pretty much the whole gospel there in, in one little sentence or a little paragraph. You're a sinner. And because you're a sinner, Jesus Christ bore your sin in his body on the tree. He died. He rose again from the dead so that whoever repents of that sin will not perish and indeed will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll become born again. You'll get to know God personally. Now, why is this so critical? It's because Jesus and his gospel is the only way to be saved from the penalty of sin. So you can't just tell people to believe, believe, believe in Jesus because they have to have a little bit of salvation knowledge. Don't have to have much, but they've, they've, got, they've got to have a little. They've got to know why it is they need to believe because they're sinners and what it is that they're su supposed to believe. Romans 10, 14 is an important verse to me because it's the verse through which God called me into the ministry. And it says, how then can they call on one whom they've not believed in? And, and how are they supposed to believe in somebody they've never heard about? And how can they hear about him without somebody proclaiming who he is to them? Now, that's telling us that nobody's ever going to get saved if they don't know what to believe in. And they don't know because nobody ever told them. And of course, we have to remember that nobody's ever just going to get saved because you live righteously before them. You know, uh, I, I'm, I'm just counting on my righteous life to bring people to Christ. Well, you see, that takes us from it's critical that we're witnesses to the consistency of a witness. As I said, nobody's going to get saved just because you live right. You've got to at least share the truth, the basic gospel with them. But you might also say that it's unlikely that anybody's going to get saved through you and your gospel shared with them if they know full well that you don't live that gospel. In 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul writes to the church of Corinth and he says, Timothy will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus that agrees exactly with what I teach everywhere in the church. There's his power. In verse 18, our, uh, verse 8, I beg your pardon, in our passage, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So, so to be a witness, it's not just what you know and what you've seen, it's who you are. Well, of course, it's, 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 it's largely who you are already. Uh, we know that because you in order to be a Christian, you have to have seen and heard something. And, uh, and then, of course, God says that if you're a Christian, you're God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. And then, of course, 2 Corinthians uh, uh, 3.18 says that we're daily being transformed into, into Jesus's likeness, into the image of a witness. The more we're like Christ, the, the more consistent our witness. So let me put it this way. The more time that we spend with Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. The more we become like Jesus, the more consistent our witness will be and the more effective it will be. You remember in Acts 4.13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that these are just unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men really knew their Bible well. Doesn't say that. 
they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Your walk with Jesus has to match your talk of Jesus. And that's when you get this lovely consistency. You're called to be a witness, created to be one, because it's critical. So there must be consistency there. And when there is, uh, for want of a different word, there's a, a delightful cologne of the gospel, the cologne of the witness. When you've been with Jesus, you start to smell like Jesus. Notice he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. The, the proximity of us to the Spirit of Jesus Christ affects who we are. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 2.14, Paul puts it this way. He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphant procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ amongst those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. To one we are the smell of death, and to the other the fragrance of life. Somebody said nobody ever gets upset by regular Christians. It's just those stinking ones that bother them. That's true. Notice the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus is not talking about book knowledge. It's talking about personal knowledge. Somebody said, it's only as I know him that I can show him. Ephesians 5.1 says the same thing. Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Howard Hendricks was a well-known seminary professor. He worked out of Dallas Theological Seminary. And he tells the story about a time when he was on American Airlines. And he said the guy in front of him was behaving like a total jerk. He, he assumed that he must have crept on the plane quite tipsy because he had ordered a few more drinks. And he was now becoming, as he described it, loud, boisterous, and vulgar and disturbing the entire plane. Hendricks goes on to say the flight attendant was handling the guy with complete class. She never lost her cool. Indeed, she was unflappable, remaining positive notwithstanding the intimidating provocation. When everybody had been served, I walked to the back of the cabin and I said to her, I can't believe how you handled that man up there. You just remained so positive and level-headed. I'd like to write a letter to your boss and to the head of American Airlines to give you a commendation. She said, well, thank you, but I don't work for American Airlines. I work for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And she then started witnessing to me and telling me what Christ had done for her. I shall never forget her. I shall never forget her fragrance of Christ. We're called and created because it's so critical that we're witnesses. Let's be consistent where our walk with Jesus matches our talk of Jesus. And when that happens, there's a cologne. It's, it's the perfume, the aroma of Christ that people, if they forget everything you said, they will remember that as long as they live. That's our fitness to be a witness.
Let's pray. Lord, we can only pray um, that we commit ourselves to be open to share what we do know, to invite people to church if the opportunity arises, to be better at listening to people's problems, talking to people in our lives that we never talk to or would think of talking to. And, and, and as you provide the opportunities, as people ask us for the reason for the hope that's within us, may we at least say, well, look, um, Jesus has changed my life. And why don't you join me to church or, or, or go further and just explain a little bit about what Christ has done for you and what it is you know. Give us the, uh, the heart to do such a thing because in Christ there's no condemnation. We're just you're such a patient, kind God that demands really so little we should just merely tell people what we know. And uh, I know great fruit will come of it. And in this world that's always on the verge of consuming itself, that we can be a, a light in the world and, and the hope of the world. We make that commitment as we sing to you now in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Dr. Bass. Tune in next week as we continue studying the Word of God. May God bless you.